Well, we greet you this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We welcome you here to the services of Grace Church at Franklin here on Arno Road in Franklin, Tennessee. Welcome all of you who are watching by Ustream or who are watching by Sermon Audio Video or YouTube. Welcome, and if you're ever in this area, we want to extend an invitation for you to come and worship with us here at Grace Church at Franklin. The scripture says in Psalm 134, Bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord, the Lord that made heaven and earth bless thee out of Zion. So let's bless the Lord now with some hymn singing. All right. Good morning, Grace Church. If you would all stand up with us. Number 117 in your hymnals in front of you, if you'd like to grab one of those. It's also up on the board. We want to say, I want to say good morning to everybody on the internet as well. Good morning. He was wounded for our transgressions. He bore our sins in his body on the tree for our guilt he gave us peace from our bondage gave release and with his stripes and with his stripes and with his stripes our souls are sacrifice he died that the law be satisfied and all our sin and all our sin and all our sin was laid on him we had wondered we shepherd of the sheep but he sought us where we were on the mountains bleak and bare and brought us home and brought us home he brought us safely home to God Try. 
triumphs of his cross. Millions dead now live again, myriads follow in his train. Victorious Lord, victorious Lord, victorious Lord and coming King. Amen. You all can be seated. Great and fitting hymn for to sing as we are about to remember the Lord's body and his blood. Hope you all have a great morning. Good morning. I'd like to say a welcome to the services of Grace Church at Franklin today and say a special welcome to our first time visitors that we have here. And if you did not get an opportunity to sign the register, we ask that you would do that as you depart, located in the foyer, just so that we might have a record of your attendance. <clears throat> We want to mention a few prayer requests now and some uh, notes as well. Pat Jackson was admitted to Vanderbilt Hospital the the 1st of June uh, for treatment of that infection that she had after surgery on her scalp. Uh, She is home now and recovering, and we understand is going to begin therapy soon on her shoulder, so we're thankful for that. George Bishop continues to remain at a a level 5 for his post-shingles pain. Let's continue to remember him. He will see a cardiologist next week. And his wife, Mary Ann, is being evaluated uh, by a neurologist soon for some burning and pain in her arms and in her hands. So let's remember Mary Ann as well. Michelle George will have an MRI this Tuesday. Uh, she is feeling well otherwise, so we're thankful for that. And Judy Barton continues to slowly improve from her recent surgery, but she is still, I understand, having some problems managing her pain. So let's ask the Lord to deliver her from that. <clears throat> Lauren Hazelwood is doing well, as is her son, Bo. He is still in the neonatal unit. He's up to 4 pounds and 11 ounces now, so we're thankful for that. Hopefully, he will be able to come home in a couple of weeks. We also want to pray for Dale Hazelwood's co-worker, John King, who is still waiting some test results and wearing a heart monitor. Uh, For Dale's uh, kinfolk, Brad Edwards, who recently suffered an injury, head injury. He is recovering from home and I understand he is improving and doing well. Let's continue to remember him. Continue to remember Judy LePetri and Calvin. Also for Joe Turner's sister, Debbie. I've incorrectly mentioned Joe Moran's sister, Debbie, for two weeks now and Joe Turner has just sit here and let me do that over and over again. So Brother Joe Moran decided he would correct me. So thank you, Brother Joe. We do want to mention Debbie before the Lord. Also continue to remember Lily, the 16-year-old that John Crutcher mentioned. Also for, uh, we want to remember Shirley Murphy, who continues to suffer from this right rotator cuff uh, injury. Let's remember her. Remember Howie Smith. Uh, Also, I got a note to read from our sister uh, Moran. For the conference, our church will be providing lunch on Tuesday the 22nd, which will consist of soup, sandwiches, and desserts. Also, we will have a potluck supper on Wednesday the 23rd. So if you would like to help with either or both of these, please sign up on the sign-up sheet on the table in the foyer. The potluck supper will begin at 5 p.m., so we should try to have food here by 4. So if you have any, uh, need any additional information about that, Beth Moran is sitting right over here. You can see her after church, email her, call her. Uh, she'll be happy to help you any way she can. And the conference is uh, June the 20th through the 23rd, <clears throat> and we just ask you to not only pray about that, but also make plans to join us and attend that conference. <clears throat> As a reminder, if you'd like to support the ministry here at Grace Church, you can do so by placing your offering in the box that's located on the foyer in the table out front. 
And I have also been blessed with the privilege to make an announcement this morning. Uh, We were going to go to Florida a couple of weeks ago, a little bit more than that, uh, with both Reagan and Josh and the kids and with Hannah. And a few days before that, Reagan and Josh asked us, could we take a third person with us? So we're grateful that uh, the Lord has blessed Reagan with another child. And we just ask you to pray and lift them up before the Lord that he would be pleased to, to bless in, in that as she carries this child and that it might be delivered safely. Uh, Reagan, you want to announce the, the date? December 1st. So thank you for your prayers on their behalf. All right, good to see all of you today. Uh, Hope you've had a good week. And here in uh, Williamson County, Tennessee, we, I think, have uh, gotten over the hump or a big part of the hump of the coronavirus for which we are thankful to the Lord. So we have resumed our luncheon that we have on the first Sunday of each month. We'll have that today, and I hope you're prepared to stay in fellowship. That's really the point of it, is fellowshipping, not just uh, to eat, but there's always plenty of food here. So don't, uh, don't, uh, don't make any excuse, well, I didn't bring anything. That's quite all right. We bring enough, the other folks bring enough, and buy enough to take care of everyone. On the first Sunday of the month also we have the Lord's Supper and we're going to go ahead and observe that. I think last time we did that at the end of the service. We're going to observe that now. And what we're doing is we're allowing the people who will want to participate to come forward and pick up your wine and your bread and return back to your seat and then I'll lead you together as we partake. All of you know that our Lord Jesus Christ, that is, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And he sat down with his disciples on the eve of the Passover. And you know, the Passover was a celebration by Israel of deliverance from Egypt. And he sat down with them on the Passover and showed them that he was the true Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb, that it was his blood that delivers us from wrath, from sin, from judgment, and that his life, by his life, he earned for us a righteousness. And he told them, in as much as you do this, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. I always like to point out that when the Lord Jesus celebrated that supper, we call it the Lord's Supper, when he celebrated that supper with his disciples, it was before he was betrayed, before he was beaten and scourged, before he was crucified, before he died. So what does that mean? It means that when he said, take and eat, this is my body, that he doesn't mean this is literally my body or that you have some power to change it over into my body. He means this is a symbol. This is an emblem. This is a, a represents my body and the wine represents my blood. So keep that in mind. And what we're going to do 
is allow you to come up. I'm going to be reading some scripture while we are doing this, while you're coming up and getting uh, your wine and your bread, and go back to your seat and just hold it. And if, after everyone is served, then I'll lead you and we'll all partake together. Let's first pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving your only begotten Son to stand in the place of sinners and that whosoever believeth in him may have life. We are thankful that we are have a righteousness by the righteousness that he earned in obedience to your holy law. And then we have a covering for our sin by his shed blood when he died. And because he died, we have escaped death. This body may die, but the true impact of death, the essence of death, the second death we have been delivered from, and we are thankful to you for that. We ask you, Lord, to bless us as we worship you today, and that your presence by your Spirit in your Word may be with us to bless us, to give us an understanding as we seek to worship him who loved us and gave himself for us, even our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, you may begin coming up now. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon the hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. The Jews, because it was a preparation for the Passover, that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath, for that day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. They came to soldiers and broke the legs of the first thief, and then the legs of the other, which was crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already, and they did not break his legs. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and out came blood and water. He that saw it bear record, and his record is true. He knows that he says the truth that you might believe. These things were done that the scripture might be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it, and he said, Take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. We thank the Lord that he took a body in order to lay it down for our sakes. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. We thank the Lord that having taken a body was willing to lay it down for our sake. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Our Father, once again, we bow before you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we praise you for giving us your only begotten Son to save us from wrath, from judgment, from our sins. We pray, Lord, that you will cause us to remember him and his sufferings, not only once a month, but every single day of our lives, that all of the blessings that come to us come to us through him who loved us and gave himself for us, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you will, uh, you can place those cups in the pews in front of you or maybe after the service. If you're so inclined, you can come down and put them back in these trays down here, and uh, we'll have them uh, there at that time. All right, now, let's see. I think, let me, uh, Brother Turner, give me that blue book. 
504 in your hymnals, 504, Sweet By and By. Sing on that beautiful shore The melodious song of the blessed And our spirits shall sorrow no more Not a sigh for the blessing of rest Sing it with us In the sweet, in the sweet By and by, by and by We shall meet on that in the sweet by and by, we shall be on that beautiful shore. Come on, y'all, look like you're in the sweet by and by. To our bountiful Father above, we will offer our tribute praise for the glory of Blessings that hallow our day in the sweet, by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet, by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet. By and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. Y'all look a lot better now. A little smile on your face. <laughs> I get up here sometime and people say, Do you feel all right? I said, well, do I look okay? I said, I don't know. I said, yeah, I feel all right. But uh, sometimes our expressions show everything, doesn't it? So today, I'm supposed to sing a song which I love called, um, let me do some technical things. Is this mic on? All right, but uh, Ruby Perry asked me to sing The Old Rugged Cross. And all of you know The Old Rugged Cross. I love The Old Rugged Cross. I love everything about it. But I love the Christ on the cross. <laughs> it's the Christ of the cross that saves us. The Old Rugged Cross, the Old Rugged Cross was just used, right? It was just used to hold our Savior. 
So I want y'all, the words are up there. If you feel like singing with me, especially on the chorus, just sing with me. I'm a little breathless this morning, but the Lord knows all about that. We'll make it through it, okay? Okay. <laughs> on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame <clears throat> and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain So despised by the world, its shame and repose gladly bear. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark. on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophy at last I lay down and I will cling to that Christ of the cross and exchange it someday for a crown listen last verse to the Christ of the cross I will ever be true, his shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away, where his glory
Till my trophies at last I lay down And I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday All right, if you'll stand together with me and open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We're going to ask the Lord to help us this morning as we look into His Holy Word. Father, I stretch my hand to Thee. No going to be reading this morning from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And that's where we're going to come back to this passage, so you might keep it, and then we're going to be going to Psalm 110. So I'm telling you basically where we're going to be going. First, Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say praise the Lord, and you may be seated. This is our 15th study under the general heading, Reasons for Christians to rejoice, we began in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, covered that chapter, and then concentrated for a few studies on verse 4, making your calling and election sure. In our last couple of studies, we have learned that the God we serve, the God we worship, 
is not an impersonal force or energy, but he is a person. He is a personality, a divine person. And as a divine person, he possesses volition, that is will, willpower, and the ability to have relationships. Now, because he is almighty, then his will is almighty, that is sovereign. However, I want you to know this, that God's sovereign will is not to be feared, it is to be praised. We are to praise him, the sovereign God, because he has a sovereign will. Say, how is that? Well, because that means that nothing is impossible for him. For example, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19, he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And to this amazing statement, his apostle said, who then can be saved? All of us are rich people compared to somebody else. Rich is all, riches and wealth is always relative. The guy that's got $10 has a lot of money to the fellow that just has 10 cents. And the fellow that has $100, he's got a lot for the guy that just has 10 and so on. So we're all rich. They said, who in the world, who then can be saved? This is what Jesus said. He said, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. They're possible because God's will is sovereign. That is, our salvation is an impossibility. Not only made possible, but made a reality by the wisdom and the sovereign power of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Scripture says He went and fell down. He was praying as it were. He was sweating great drops of blood. And this is what He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto Thee. All things are possible unto Thee. Now here's the lesson for us right here at the beginning of today's study. Nothing, since nothing, is impossible for our God and for our Savior. This means that no matter what we are facing, don't be afraid to present your case to Him. Trust Him to work it out after His perfect will and for your good, because nothing is impossible for Him. Now, he may not do it exactly the way you think. For example, when Joseph had those dreams about being the prime minister of Egypt and everybody bowing down to him, he certainly never thought that his brothers would betray him, even think about murdering him, that he would be sold as a slave to a fellow named Potiphar whose wife would betray him, and then he would be imprisoned for nothing that he had done but because Potiphar's wife lied, all of that to bring him to the throne of Egypt. And he realized that because in the very last couple of chapters of the book of Genesis, 
when his brothers came to him trembling and afraid and said, oh, forgive us for the wickedness we have done, you know what he said to them? He said, as for you, you meant evil, but God meant it for good. If he hadn't sent Joseph ahead into Egypt, he could not have advised the Pharaoh of the seven bad years that were coming and prepare for the, the seven bad years with the seven good years and store up all of the food. What if you knew what the stock market was going to do for the next seven years? What if you knew how the economy of the world was going to go for the next seven years where well, you could be a wealthy person? And the Lord put Joseph where he wanted him, but he put him there his way. So because nothing is impossible, don't be afraid to present your case, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever your predicament is, whatever your problem is, whatever you're facing, don't be afraid to present your case to him and then sit back and wait on him and trust him to work it out. The second thing we've learned in these last two or three studies is that this, we have the ability like God to have a relationship and we too have a will. The Bible says that God created man in his image. That doesn't mean his physical image, for the Bible says, John 4, 24, God is spirit. But it means that he created him with a triune makeup. God is one God in three persons, and we are one person, but we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit, each of us. And the image of God within each of us gives us the ability, the capacity for relationships, not only with one another, but for a relationship with God. And also, we do have a will. We've been blessed with the gift of volition or will, which means that we can make decisions, and it does mean that we are responsible for our decisions. More about this in a minute. In the third place, we've learned that we are not, and this is extremely important, <laughs> we are not the same as our ancient parents, Adam and Eve. People today, I hear teachers, I hear preachers, I hear well-meaning folks telling, talking to people as though they have the same abilities and powers and the same predicament, the same situation that Adam and Eve was in before they fell into sin. My dear friends, nothing could be further from the truth. Their disobedience in the Garden of Eden radically changed them and their situation with God and it radically changed all of their offspring forever. That includes you, and that includes me. They had the power not to sin. We don't have that power. You say, well, I hadn't killed anybody, I hadn't told a lie lately and all that, but see, the Scripture says that if you are anything short of perfection in your relationship with God and with man, you're a sinner. The Scripture says you don't have to murder somebody, you just got to think about it. You don't have to go out with somebody you shouldn't be going out with, you just have to think about it. 
You don't have to do things, actually do them. You just think about them. The law of God condemns every thought, every intent of the heart and of the spirit, not just the outward actions. And Adam and Eve had the power not to sin. We do not have that power. They were created sinless. Their father was God, but we are born in sin. My father inherited his nature from his father, and his father inherited it from his father, and so on, all the way back to Adam, the first human sinner. And so we were born. I was born with a bent toward sin. To sin for a human being is natural. They had the will not to sin until they chose to sin, and then from that point forward, they no longer could not sin because they came under the power of sin. Isn't this what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7, that kind of confusing passage of Scripture? Let me just paraphrase it for you. He says, I'm a mortal man, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do, for I don't do what I would like to do. But instead, I do what I hate. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. Even though the desire to do good is in me, I am not able to do it as I want. I don't do the good I want to do. Instead, I do the evil I don't want to do. Sounds like he's uh, got a bipolar or schizophrenic or something. Sounds like he's got a problem. Let me let you in on something. The last family that wasn't a dysfunctional family was Adam and Eve before they sinned. You came from a dysfunctional family, and so did I. All of our families have problems. And they have problems because we are sinners, and we're born that way. We just read that in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at that again here in just a moment. What I want to know is, where did this wrestling match come from? This wrestling match, I do what I don't want to do, I don't do what I ought to do, what I want to do, I don't do. Where did that wrestling match, where did that come from? Where did that originate? What caused it? Let me ask you this. Before they sinned, did Adam and Eve have that wrestling match? No, they did not. They did not. Not until they sinned. There was no struggle within them. You know, if I hold a potato chip in front of my puppy at the house, you know what our dog's name is? Mamacita. Mamacita, that means little, little mama, little mother. Now, if I hold a potato chip in front of Mamacita, she is not going to begin to salivate. Or if Bob Castle and Julie did that with their dog Murphy, that dog's not going to start salivating. You know why? There's nothing within the dog to correspond or relate to the potato chip. Now, if I hold a piece of meat up, it's a different ballgame, isn't it? You have to have something inside of you to relate to the temptation that's outside of you if that is going to be a temptation for 
you. Adam and Eve had no sin within. They were created without sin. Perhaps this is why the Bible speaks of the mystery of ungodliness, the mystery of sin. There's a mystery about how they were able to sin since they were created without sin with a righteous nature. But the thing for sure is they didn't have that wrestling match. Their nature was sinless and their will was good. There was no inward war. There was no wrestling match. There was no fighting between Adam and Eve about who's going to be first, about who was going to be head and who was going to be subject to the other. There was none of that. There was no argument with God. There was a perfect, a perfect will, a perfect willingness to be in submission to the Heavenly Father. But once they tasted sin, They became the slaves of sin to do its bidding. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. Remember he was talking to the Pharisees? I'm going to mention this later. And he talked to them about being made free. And they said, you're talking to the wrong people. We've never been slaves. You can't set a free man free. And he said, you don't understand. If you've ever sinned, you are the slave of sin, and you can't set yourself free. Adam and Eve, my point is, they were changed forever once they sinned, and we are not in the same situation they were in. All of their children, and that includes you and me, were born in sin. Trust was replaced with suspicion. We don't trust anybody, not even God. Innocence was replaced with guilt. Fear replaced faith. Darkness replaced light. Instead of being filled with the Spirit of God, they were filled with the Spirit of self. Life was replaced with death. In the day you eat, the Lord said, you shall surely die. And supreme love for the will of God was replaced with supreme love for self-will. And we are all born with these spiritual defects. We are born being suspicious. We don't trust anybody. We certainly don't trust God. We are filled with guilt. This society today is cursed with multiple phobias, fearful of everything. Uh, These fears, these phobias possess us and enslave us. We're groping in spiritual darkness. We're filled with love for self. We love ourselves supremely. Doesn't the Scripture say that the time will come when men will be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. The bottom line is this. Every human being since the fall in the Garden of Eden is born spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. Now look here in Ephesians 2. We'll open it up a little bit more in a moment. Notice the very first verse, and you hath he quickened, that means made alive, an old Anglo-Saxon word, gave life, you hath he made alive, who were dead. You were dead in trespasses 
and sins. How did this happen? Romans chapter 5 verse 12, by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. The English version has it this way, whereas by one man sin entered into the world, by one man sin came into the world and his sin brought death with it. And as a result death has spread to the whole human race because everyone has sinned. And there's no better summary of this spiritual state than here in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me make this first observation. As you look at verse 1, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Here's the first lesson in verse 1. Every person who is reconciled to God. Now you have to understand that these epistles, like this Ephesian epistle, they're written to the Christians in Ephesus. They're written to Christians. They're not written to the world. And if you look at the very first verse of chapter 1, he tells us who's writing. I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle by the will of God. And I'm writing to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. That's who I'm writing to. So when he gets to chapter 2, he says, the reason you're a worshiper of God and Jesus Christ is because God has made you alive. He says you were dead in trespasses and sin. So here's the first lesson. Every person who is reconciled to God must be brought back from a spiritual grave. From a spiritual grave. Being saved, as we say, the world doesn't understand that language, being reconciled to God, becoming a believer in Jesus as Messiah, indicates that we have been brought out of a spiritual grave. It's a spiritual resurrection. It's likened to a resurrection from the dead. He has quickened you who were dead. Now listen to these words from our Lord Jesus. I'll just tell you where they are. John 5 and verse 24. Jesus said, He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. Listen now. But is past, is already past from death unto life. That's why we talk about being saved. We're using language of faith. The real day that you'll be saved will be the day we stand before God and He cast off those who were His enemies and He saves those who were His children. But we confess now by faith that we are saved because as Jesus says, He that hears my word and believes on Him that sent me has now, presently, everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation. He went on to say, The hour is now here when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they who hear shall live. This is those who are dead in trespasses and sins, and God gives them ears to hear, and they hear, and they live spiritually. Now, I want you to look again at verse 1. I don't know what translation you have. This translation I'm reading from says this, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
Now trespasses points to the law. And I think trespasses refers to the Jews. The Jews trespassed the law. They had the law. That's sin. John tells us in 1 John that sin is the transgression of the law. Then he says, the Gentiles sinned because they knew not God. He says, you were made alive, you Jews, because you had trespassed, and you Gentiles, you had sinned. Then he says in verse 2, the evidence, the fruit of being dead in trespasses and sins is, we walked after the world's evil way. Verse 2, in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the children of disobedience. So what he says, he says that we are, were in a state of spiritual deadness, and that is a state that's conformity to the world. Now notice the, the language he uses. He says, wherein in time past ye walked. He didn't say you visited it every once in a while. He said you walked in it. It was your way. It was your natural way, your natural journey. This was our habitual manner of life. We were quite naturally bond slaves to the spirit that is still working in all humans who want nothing to do with God, the same spirit that led our first parents to disobey the God who loved them. Then in verse 3, he says, Our spiritual state of death expressed itself through our lifestyle, among whom we all had our, the old King James Version says, our conversation. That's the word for lifestyle. We all had a lifestyle in the past, he says, before we were converted, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and therefore we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That is, we were quite naturally bond slaves to the spirit that is still working in all human beings who want nothing to do with God. Our spiritual state of death expresses itself through our lifestyle. He says we were ruled by the flesh. Notice he says the lust with a S on it, many, plural. And we obeyed the flesh. We fulfilled. The word translated fulfilled here is doing. The word for doing, doing what the flesh commanded. The flesh was commanded by the mind. The mind commands the flesh and the flesh obeys. If there's a change of mind, there'll be a change of lifestyle. Bottom line, we were children of wrath, he says. We were deserving of the wrath of God. So let me summarize. Since we were born children of wrath, our nature was to live as those deserving wrath. And this we did. We did this without fear or without concern. You know what I mean by that? I mean, until really the Spirit of the Lord dealt with us, we didn't spend any sleepless nights or care-filled days worrying about our relationship with our Creator. We never thought about it. Nobody ever does until the Holy Spirit begins to convict them. 
There was no concern for the will of God or for the glory of God, but only for myself and doing what I pleased. And I want to make an important point here. Don't confuse spiritual deadness, falling after desires of the flesh and the mind and the like. Don't make the mistake of just relating to that, that to immoral things. That would be a, tra- a tragic mistake. You can be a decent person. You can be outwardly a law-abiding citizen. You can be a fine person, comparatively speaking, but have no real concern for the Lord, for His glory, or for His will. That would be the basic definition of the term godless. Godless just means without God. It doesn't mean you're living an immoral life. It just means you're without God, whether you are moral, immoral, or amoral. It would seem to me that the answer to the question of the will of man would be evident to all of us. Adam and Eve didn't even have a free will before they sinned. What was their will limited to? Their will was limited to their nature. It was their nature that dictated to their will. And now we have a fallen nature, and it is our nature, our fallen nature, that dictates to our will until and unless we are set free to bow to the will of our God. Let me ask you this. Can a person that's blind see by willing it? Can one running from God trust Him? Can a slave free himself or herself from slavery by willing it? Can one who is blinded by the devil see God by an act of the will? Can one who is dead have a free will. Let me talk to you in the language of Scripture. Now just listen to this. I'm going to tell you where it's found. It's found in Jeremiah 13 and verse 23. This is what God said through Jeremiah the prophet to Israel. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Then may you also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Can a person of any race, by an act of his or her will, change the color of their skin? Can they add hairs to their head? Can they add days to the length of their life? Can they straighten themselves up from any disease or problem by an act of the will? No, your will is limited to your nature. Your will is limited to your nature. Animals don't act by will, they act by instinct. And we're becoming more like animals today. We're acting more like beasts than we are a race created by God in His image. We are being ruled by our fallen nature. The real issue is not free will. Now listen to me now. The real issue is not free will, but sovereign will. 
Do you remember what the devil said to Adam and Eve? God does know that in the day you eat, you will be as gods, determining for yourself. You'll sit on the throne. You'll be the determiner of what's going to be good for you and what's going to be bad for you. You'll be the determiner of good and evil, of sweet and sour, of light and darkness. You will determine that. You will be like God. You'll have a sovereign will, and you'll make the decisions. That's the issue. The issue is whose will is going to be sovereign. We want, man by nature wants God to operate according to his own will. In other words, I don't want God to tell me my will is going to be done and you must bow to it, but I want to say, oh no, not so fast. I don't have to do anything unless I want to do it. I don't have to come to Jesus unless I want to come. I don't have to serve God unless I want to come. Do we have the power of volition? Yes. Is our volition sovereign? No. The only will that is completely free and sovereign will is the will of God. God alone has free will and sovereign will. And those, think about this. How about people that are born in another nation? In America, we're spoiled rotten. Even today, you go to a motel, most likely, unless they've banned it, there's still a Gideon Bible there. Well, what if you were born on the backside of nowhere with no Bibles, no teachers? This church just sent, how many Bibles have we sent total? About 500 Bibles? Over five, we've, we've sent over 500 Bibles to people in another continent who don't have any Bibles. In fact, I'm going to send this picture to the guys in audio video, and I want you to show them. Uh, they sent a picture of all these people holding up their Bibles. We sent those Bibles over there to them. They don't have any Bibles. What if you were born on the backside of nowhere and you had no Bibles, you had no teachings of Scripture? What good would it do that kind of person to have a free will? I keep going back to Abraham. Abraham was down in Ur of the Chaldees. His father was an idol maker. What good did Abraham's will do him until God went to Abraham and revealed himself to it? I think we're barking up the wrong tree arguing with people about will. I think we're barking up the wrong tree. What, God, what good did the will of Saul of Tarsus do him until the glorified Christ confronted him on the road to Damascus? He had a will all right, and he was putting Christians to death and putting them in prison. And it took a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ to halt him and to change him and to regenerate him and to make him who was a murderer of people, to make him a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell you what I'd like for you to do, and we'll stop here. I want you to turn to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. And I'll conclude with a few remarks from this psalm. Psalm 110 is called a messianic psalm, because parts of it are 
quoted in the New Testament and applied to Jesus as the Messiah, really all of the Psalms are Messianic if we have eyes to see. They're all about Him. Remember, I'm always telling you that the Bible is a Him book, H-I-M. It's all about Him. Points to Him, reveals Him, shows Him. Every prophet is a revelation of Him. Every priest, a revelation of Him. Every sacrifice, a revelation of Him. Every ceremony reveals Him. Everything is about Him. It all points to Him. And He is salvation. And it says here in Psalm 110, The Lord said unto my Lord, that's quoted in the New Testament by Jesus Himself in Matthew chapter 22, and also in Ephesians chapter 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now watch verse 3. Thy people, the Lord's people, shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. He goes on, talks about Jesus, about the priest of Melchizedek that Abraham made. We know that's all applied in the New Testament to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice something here in Psalm 110. He doesn't get to mentioning directly, thy people should be willing till verse 3. So let's go back to verse 1. And we, we draw this lesson from verse 1. The Lord's people were His enemies. The Lord's people were His enemies. Verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to the Son, you sit here on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Until I make your enemies subservient to you. Until I bring them to the point where they want to serve you. They want to be your servants. They'll be even your footstool. All people who become children of God were enemies of God by nature. Number two, verse two. The enemies of Christ must be conquered. Verse 2, the Lord shall send the rod of His strength out of Zion, and He will rule in the midst of His enemies. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to have a people that He rules, and they would love to have it so. They'd be happy that He's the ruler. You know, when we get to heaven... There's going to be one king in heaven, and his will is always going to be done, and everybody there is going to be glad about it. Everybody there is going to be glad about it. Jesus Christ is going to sit on the throne of God. He's going to rule, and everybody there will be so happy that he's the ruler, that he's in charge. The enemies of Christ must be conquered. This rod here is also mentioned in the book of Revelation about a rod that goes out of the mouth of Christ. That's the Word of God. He uses the Word of God to conquer His enemies. The enemies of the Messiah will become His footstool, subjected to Him, they'll serve Him. The rod of strength is His Word of power. You can read also about it in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 4. Then he says, you can easily identify his people, verse 3, 
His people are those who are willing. They are willing to bow to Him. They are willing to worship Him. They want to. Notice that the, only the people of God are willing. Notice that. Only the people of God, thy people, shall be willing. Notice in the second place, they are not willing until the day of God's power. Thy people shall be willing when? In the day of thy power. He sends His Spirit and He begins to deal with your heart. He begins to deal with your mind. He begins to deal with your will. And until the power of God comes upon them to free their wills, they do what they want to do. And then they freely will to bow to Him and to confess Him. Literally, to offer themselves to Him as free will offerings. It is what Paul says to Christians. Listen to this, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, brethren, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Present yourself as a sacrifice to God to serve Him. Then he says back in Psalm 10, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness. The essence of spiritual worship, beauties of holiness, those people whose wills are set free to offer themselves to Christ and to give Him glory and worship are those who are in the beauties of holiness. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 29 and verse 2. Then he goes on to say, From the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. From the womb of the morning, I take that to mean the morning of creation. From the time that all things that are began to be, our Lord Jesus Christ then was like in the vigor of youth, and He still has that today. He never grows old in terms of power. He has as much power now as He had when it all began. Do, do is an emblem of what is refreshing and what is strengthening. The king's favor is as dew upon the grass. Proverbs 19 and verse 12. So to quote one theologian, he said this, The Messiah then, as leading his people, is represented as continually in the vigor of youth, refreshed and strengthened by the early dew of God's grace and spirit. Now, my friends, here's the bottom line. You can turn to this passage if you want, but it's just a short passage, and I'll, I'll just read it to you. It's found in the Gospel of John chapter 8. I referred to it earlier. John chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus said, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Let me tell you what will indicate that a person's will and mind and heart and spirit and being has been set free. 
the freest person on planet earth is the person who can say, not my will, but thine be done. That's the freest person. Until we can say that, we're still enslaved in some way. The Lord must set us free. And I tell you, it's still a battle, isn't it? I'm still battling. I'm still battling because all the time I manifest things. If you don't believe that, you just ask my wife or my son or even my grandchildren. They'll tell you real quick, I'm not yet perfected. I still a struggle, but I want. I'm like Paul in Romans 7. I don't want to do what I do that's wrong. I want to do the right thing. I just don't find the power to do it. But then one day, when he calls me beyond this veil of tears, and then I shall be perfected. And I shall see him as he is, and I'll be like him, and I'll be free from all the encumbrance of the flesh and the world. I'll be free to give him all the praise and honor and glory, which is what I want to do now. You understand me? The freest person is the person that's set free by Christ. And the indication of that is we can say, not my will, but thine be done. May the Lord add his blessings on his word. Let's stand together. Now we have plenty of food, and plenty of uh, meat and vegetables and bread and desserts. Come back and eat with us, will you? We only do this once a month. And we'd love to have you come. Uh, you might say, well, I forgot to bring anything. It's all right. We've got plenty. All that table back there is filled with food. We, we don't know who brought what, and we don't care. It's there for everybody to enjoy. There's no time limit. You can leave when you want to. You can eat what you want to. Please come back and join with us. The point of it is fellowship. Let us pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for the great freedom that we have in him. That he by his spirit through his word has set us free. Freed us from seeking after just what we want and beginning to seek after his will and his glory and his majesty. How we thank you for having mercy upon us. How we thank you that we who were dead in trespasses and sins have been made alive in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we look forward to the time. We shall be caught up together with all those who love the Lord, and we shall forever be with our Lord and with our Savior. We pray for those who are lost. We pray for those who do not know the Lord. We pray for those who are not interested in knowing what His will is and doing His will. Oh, Father, I pray that You'll open their eyes and unstop their ears and remove the veil from their hearts, that they may be set free, and that they might cry out, God, have mercy upon me, the sinner, and begin to seek the Lord while He may be found and call upon Him while He's near. We ask You to bless our bodies now with the food that we're going to partake of. Thank You for all of the food that's been brought. And we ask You to bless our fellowship, that our spirits and minds and hearts will be strengthened and edified in the Lord. Thank You for forgiveness of our sins. Thank You for all the blessings of these United States and this world. 
We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.